Hello, everyone, and welcome to Revoxy Life, a pandemic of inspiration, a podcast that could change the way you think about cancer and how to treat it. Our top expert is Dr. Sophia Edwards-Bennett, affectionately known to her patients as Dr. E.B., a board-certified radiation oncologist who gained her medical and oncology postgraduate education from a Harvard research program from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in Cornell Medical College. I'm your host, Mark Grimm. Welcome, Dr. E.B. It's great to be with you. Thank you for such an introduction, Mark. It's great to be here. And well, I let me just say- let me just let me just say, anytime I see so Harvard, Cornell, and Sloan Kettering in the same sentence, I'm pretty sure I'm speaking with someone who really knows what they're talking about. So it's really wonderful <laughs> to be with you. Thank you for that panegyric. I must say that uh, with your wealth of expertise as well, I, I consider it an honor to be interviewed by you. <laughs> well, let's talk about this because cancer. Who hasn't been affected by cancer? I, I don't know anyone who hasn't had it in their family or relatives or something like that. That is absolutely true. And I know you believe so strongly about your approach to cancer. It'll help improve cancer doctor-patient relationships. It'll bring positive psychological and physical changes in patients' lives and lead to better outcomes for cancer patients. Yes. That's pretty powerful stuff. Tell us more about that. Yes, indeed. Uh, It is powerful. So you mentioned my expertise uh, based on my uh, institutions, the aforementioned institutions uh, where I garnered my knowledge and wealth wealth of expertise. And because I was equipped with that armamentarium of knowledge, I was then able to focus on the passion of oncological care, which is basically just to focus on not just the patient's cancer, but also the mind and soul. So the psychological toxicity that is induced by the diagnosis, the treatment of cancer and beyond. And so- Yeah, and I was just saying, yeah, the, uh, when you hear the word cancer, your heart stops. Exactly. Uh, when you hear that from a doctor, and so it's not just a medical issue, it's really what exactly what you're saying. Exactly. And, and the problem is that because of the vulnerability that it induces, and most of us don't want to be in a vulnerable position, but also patients are facing their mortality, and then they feel this loss of control, it actually induces a complex web of a constellation of anxiety, fear, uh, despair. And that is really the, the construct of psychological toxicity that I feel that I'm called to address. And so when one has passion and then that is met with purpose, that ignites a vision. And then what I wanna do is then transform that vision to a path of attaining the mission that I mentioned earlier, which is certainly to address the psychological toxicity so that I can empower my patients to cope with the diagnosis, the treatment, and beyond. Because we we tend as doctors to address just the cancer, and the cancer itself does cause toxicity because it's malignant. And then there is the toxicity, the visceral toxicity caused by the treatment itself. 
But then there is the psychological toxicity and that goes unaddressed mostly because patients are reticent to proceed with a psychiatric evaluation or seeing a psychologist because there's a stigma attached and they really don't want to be vulnerable, as I mentioned before, but also because that may, the treatment may preclude seeking or adding another appointment to their, you know, the myriad of appointments that they've now um, had to just attain just by being diagnosed with cancer. There are some patients undergoing uh, chemotherapy. And then, of course, it's very time consuming, especially with radiation oncology, because my patients are being treated five days a week and sometimes up to up to nine weeks. And so because I see my patients so often because they are being treated five days a week for up to that many weeks, six to nine weeks, I feel that I'm uniquely positioned to address this issue, knowing that I'm, I cannot consider myself at all a psychiatrist. That's not how I'm trained. But I do believe that I've immersed myself in the in extending beyond just the cancer so so that I'm positioned to address just that. Sure, I, I want to hear more about this. There's something called the big C reattitudes. Yes, that and is you've really that it's really your baby. Tell us yes, more about that because this, I'm sure this this deals with the psychological toxicity indeed. that you talk about. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. And so I developed the big C reattitudes to uh, to address the psychological toxicity. So the big C attitudes, there are seven, and really the re is the prefix for all, all, all. The big C is cancer, and then the reattitudes themselves are actually the attitudes that I want to invoke. So there is, for example, the restoration of hope, the reappraisal of life, the reclamation of self-worth, the recognition of purpose, the requited admiration, which I can explain later, uh, as well as the, the just rehabilitation of the mind and all of those elements of the big C attitude, I think implemented in the correct way has really helped patients to survive and, and go beyond just surviving, but they develop with all of those elements, they develop this fortitude and this, this, this knowing that they've overcome this, this, this plague, the psychological plague that accompanies the diagnosis and the treatment such that they leave with this knowledge now, this armor that they can use to, to then discover that dormant, that dormant self that they didn't know that they had, the strength to actually go through this. And then they can disseminate that information to not just their family members, but friends and, and prepare them for this journey of, of cancer treatment if they, if they need to do so in the future. So this can be propagated and that is the, that is the, the, the perquisite uh, that, that is unexpected as well because we believe that it can only be instituted in the clinic, but it goes beyond that. 
I love the term he used, armor. You give them armor to send them out. Tell me some of the reactions you've gotten from some of your patients. What have they told you after you've used uh, this help with this uh, this uh, psych- psychology? So it, it's quite subtle, actually. So I can tell you, for example, I have patients uh, who are very... Uh, they feel very hopeless because of the diagnosis. And then they're dealing with just life challenges in general, because uh, you can imagine that uh, we all have challenges in life, but then the diagnosis of cancer adds another level that just surpasses and supersedes what we as human beings without cancer have to deal with in our everyday existence. And so What I usually tell my patients when I see them, because I I want to immerse myself in that well. And as I stated, I cannot implement the big C reattitudes without entering that vulnerable space with them. And it's difficult to do that because patients, like any one of us, we're not really willing to be vulnerable. So the first thing I do is I enter that space by informing them that I am consumed with thoughts about them too. So they're consumed. I consider what they're thinking about when they're diagnosed, from the time of diagnosis, where the day before, a week before, they were going on with their daily activities, not knowing that a week later they'd be diagnosed with cancer. And so I think about that process. And I discuss that with them and that opens them up. It opens the door for me to then discuss uh, some of the elements of the big C reattitude. The other uh, the other discussions that we have is that not only is it uh, very just daunting, but also their meeting, what I call meeting with a mandatory meeting with a stranger, which is basically I'm considering myself the stranger, right? And so the day before they are um, scheduled to see me in consultation, I'm also consumed with thoughts of them, but they're going through this, this, this cycle, this perseveration, mulling over what's going to happen at this appointment. Um, what are they going to tell me about what I need to do? Um, what is this gonna be like? What, what, what will I have to face? And so I discussed that with them as well. So they they know that even though I'm not going through it myself, I have placed myself in their shoes such that I they know that I am there. I understand what they're going through. And that allows them then, again, to open that channel of communication for me to then employ the big C reattitudes. So when they walk in the room, they know, that not only were they consumed with thoughts and and, and fear and anxiety, but I was consumed with thoughts about how I can best help them, not only just to treat the cancer by using the expertise, but going beyond that. Because you see, when I see patients who are referred, who are reticent, to proceed with treatment because you know radiation is a black box or because they've had some experience with a family member who underwent treatment uh, who you know lost their lives or who uh, 
experienced really terrible toxicities or who underwent ex uh, treatment uh, 30 years ago and so the technology was not as advanced. I meet those patients and so my goal is to convince them to undergo treatment so they can actually save their lives but they're reticent to do so. And so they're not going to be convinced by just my expertise, you see, because they know that when they enter the room, they're already aware of that. So then I have to go beyond that, enable to, to, to engage them in such a manner that I can, over the course, convince them to be treated, and then over the course of their treatment and beyond, help them through this process by employing the big C reattitude such that they are then able to stand again with that fortitude that they have been armored with to go through life in a in in, a, in an enlightened way to, to help others. How did you get to this point? I'm hearing all this really profound stuff that you're talking about. Give us a little brief description of your career path to what mm. got you to this point. Mm. Very interesting question, actually. So you probably know that I was born in Jamaica, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I, I attended undergrad, undergraduate school there, University of the West Indies, you call it UA in Jamaica. But I became interested in medicine really because my mother died of lupus um, when I was 13. She was 36 years old. And I was very, I was very uh, just enamored by the doctors and the, the, the care team uh, in Jamaica and how they not only treated my mother, but also how they embraced us, the family, how they embraced me and my brothers and how they were able to instill hope. So I, I was very impressed by that. And that was my first exposure, uh, intimate exposure to medicine. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I, I, at UWE, I majored, I double majored actually in biochemistry and organic chemistry. And uh, I worked for a year in Jamaica and I received a call from one of my professors of chemistry. His name is uh, Keith Pasco. And he said, I have this opportunity for you uh, in the US at Georgia State University to obtain a PhD uh, in chemistry. Are you interested? I selected you. I thought you'd be you'd be great. You just have to take the GMAT and I'm sure you'll do well. And of course, all of that happened. And he was able to uh, be, he was made aware of this opportunity by Dr. Davin Kennedy, who was a professor there at the time. And so mm -hmm. I consider this in one of my chapters in my next book, uh, um, the block to book that, that's uh, being, uh, that has been instituted uh, by the Success Network. Uh, it's called disguised and dispatched because you see to be placed on the path of your purpose, you need to have those angels disguised and dispatched to help you because it was not by chance that I was selected, you see. Mm -hmm. So once I was uh, just uh, immersed in my studies in graduate school, I became interested in the study of anthroquinones as anti-cancer agents. And so I synthesized anthroquinones and anthroquinones are actually used as anti-cancer agents. So, so uh, agents such as doxorubicin, anthracyclines, these are adramycin, these are all anthroquinones that are used to treat cancer. And so because I had to write a PhD thesis, I had to 
basically be engrossed in reading all of this material, medicinal material as well. And because of that, I then renewed my interest in medicine. And so after the PhD program, I entered medicine at Cornell. I was, you know, what it takes, MCAT, et cetera. And when I entered Cornell, I knew I was in a non-traditional student, as they say, because I had already obtained my, my PhD, so they call that a FUDMAD. But because I knew that I, I was interested in oncology, in my first year, I actually shadowed Dr. Carol Portlock um, across the street, because as you know, Cornell is in Manhattan and Sloan Kettering is across the street from Manhattan, and so it's a close proximity. So I shadowed Dr. Carol Portlock for the entire first year. And then at the end of first year, uh, I expressed my interest in, in clinical research, and she introduced me to Aki Yahalam, who was a radiation oncologist. And that is how I became interested in radiation oncology. Again, disguised and dispatched. Well, uh, there must have been a time, because you, you, you said the healthcare that your mother got, you thought was pretty good, even though you lost her when you were 13 years old. Yeah. There must have been a time when you saw some medicine that said, you know what, we could be better than this. We're not really getting at the psychological toxicity, to use your term. What, what gave you the push in that direction? So... What gave me that push? What, what enlightened me? As I said, when passion meets purpose. So my passion was to go beyond. And the expertise that I gained from the aforementioned institutions allowed me the, the, that leverage, that, that level of confidence to focus on that passion, right? Because I always wanted to, I, I realized that 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 web, that complex web that was being woven, you know, that psychological toxicity, anxiety, fear. I realized that when I was treating patients all over the country, internationally, I treated patients in Jamaica, I was presenting in Barbados, and I was being asked questions, Antigua, I realized that that was not being addressed, the questions being posed, that, that I gained insight from that, that that was not being addressed, those questions were very common and that is what led me you see because when you're passionate you want to delve in to what you you could at 2 a.m in the morning you know you're woken up by these thoughts of how how can i best do this how can and eventually that eureka moment arises and that is when everything is just you everything coalesces everything is collated and um, after much refinement then I introduced the developed and introduced what I coined the big theory attitudes mm -hmm. now you're an author you you co-authored a book with Jack Canfield called success yes. and uh, an tell honor. us more about yeah tell, tell us more about that so in the book, I actually uh, define success as the fulfillment of purpose, because I strongly believe that you don't gain fulfillment unless you are actually enacting your purpose on this earth. And I do believe that we all have a purpose. And I may use this biblical term when you're not fulfilling your purpose and when you find your passion, it's like a as Jeremiah said, a fire is shut up within your bones. I didn't say that in the book, but um, for those who are um, so inclined, that is how I felt at the time. And so I described that passion in my book, and I also described the big C reattitudes. Um, 
it's I won't give away much secret because the book is actually going to be out uh, soon. It's going to be released soon. And so early, it, uh, it early, yeah, early 2021. Early tw- well, actually, early 2021. But we may be surprised by an earlier release. But that's oh. as much as I'll say. Something we got to look out for. <laughs> yes, yes. And I had the opportunity actually to interview, um, to be interviewed by Jack Canfield in Hollywood. So, and that was, I mean, uh, it was, it was also just an honor. It was incredible. It was incredible. So that will also be released soon. Now, let's talk a little bit about your TSA, your network channel, Revox of Life. Yep. Uh, it seems like you're, and by the way, where do you get time for all these things that you're involved in? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, I alluded to that. Uh, you certainly got the passion for it. Nobody's going to say, well, that's morning. a passionate woman right there. At 2 a.m. in the morning. So, you know, what's interesting to me. This, I, this reminds me of an expression, um, some expression that my, uh, my, um, my PI uh, in grad school, Dabney Dixon, she, <laughs> she commented once about the PKAs of amino acids. And she said, uh, with a temperature of 105 at 2 a.m. in the morning, you should be able to recite all the PKAs of an amino acid. And that's that's what I call passion, right? I mean, and so I am really, it really does consume me. And, and that's the truth. And, and that's why I believe it, it's my purpose on this earth. Our purpose is not really for us, right? It fulfills us, but it's really for others. We're really placed on this earth. Yeah, you know, tell us more about the network others. channel, though, that, uh, how you, uh, how you And so, so the network channel, so I named it Revoxalife because there are, I believe, in the revelations from the oxymorons of life. So the rabbits, revelations, and then oxy, oxymorons of life. And that is that, you know, an oxymoron is basically the opposite, right? So so from, from pain, you, there's gain in pain, right? Uh, um, that, or there's, there's gain in loss. Uh, there is strength that you gain from adversities, right? And, and that's basically the main goal. And so I've been through many adversities with my mom dying young and then my brothers having to take care of me. And there were, they were teenagers themselves and several uh, obstacles along the way that I will not really delve into at this point. But in future podcasts, you learn more about me for sure. My listeners will learn um, a lot more about me. But um, I think that I think that connects me with my patients because the revelations that I gained from my adversities, I, I believe that there are revelations to be gained from going through this process, this can- treatment course um, for cancer as well. And the Big C Reattitudes actually leads to that, you see. So I think that's that, that, that's that connection for me. And so mm-hmm. that, that's why I named it as such. And on my channel, you can find um, inspirational proses. Uh, my last was um, um, intentionally you. Um, there's a purpose. There is an over the limit. And that's all about just um, just encouraging not just cancer patients, but um, all my listeners or readers just to uh, delve into who they are authentically because you see you have to be intentionally you because what I found about being intentionally you is that what it does is the world gains from being intentionally you and if you are not irrevocably 
irrefutably, unapologetically, intentionally you, then we all lose if you don't choose to be intentionally you. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit more about the psychological toxicity. Yeah. Can you give me an example of what it looks like and yeah. how you treat it with your patients? In other words, identify when you see it, oh, this is toxicity. Right. So I meant I alluded to earlier when patients are just reticent to proceed because of fear, right? And so yeah. I went through the process of how I addressed that. I have patients who have lost their self-worth and self-esteem. For example, a patient who underwent hormonal therapy for breast cancer or underwent mastectomy and they're seeing me for post-mastectomy radiation therapy. So they've lost their self-worth and their self-esteem. And that also uh, leads into or bleeds into then uh, loss of uh, just purpose. And so what I do is I use the big C reattitudes to then reclaim all of those by encouraging my patients, uh, allowing them to see what's inside of them that is not lost by the external aspect of what we can see, but what it's what you cannot be. So I reignite all of that. And there's a whole, there's a whole um, a series of, 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 visits that have to occur for me to infuse that in my patients. Mm-hmm. What is uh, the, the best thing a patient ever said to you? Mm. Mm. Wow. Uh, I've been blessed. I've been blessed. Um, the best thing. That's a difficult question. I've had so many patients. It's hard to pick one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, they've said um, they're just so grateful to have me as their doctor. Um, They've told me I go above and beyond. I had a patient actually, um, I treated in, uh, uh, whom I treated in South Dakota, and she had stage four breast cancer, and uh, she lost the battle. And I was in a different state practicing. And her husband called me the day after she died. And um, he told me, he said that she wanted to, she basically um, made him promise to call me because she knew she was going to die. She made him promise to call me just to reiterate the impact that I had on her life. Mm. And that it was just such a blessing to have me as her physician. And that was so powerful. I received, she died on August 30th and I received the call that Monday morning, and uh, it was... Mm. So in the final moments of her life, she told her husband, make sure you yes. call, Dr., uh, call Dr. E.B. on how much she meant to me. I didn't know how much I appreciated. Oh. She, she appreciated me. Oh. Uh, when it comes from the heart, it goes straight to the heart. I wonder, Dr. E.B., um, you, you get so, you're so vested in your patients, mm. and so many of them die. How do you manage that? Mm. How do you manage that grief? Uh, it's difficult. It really is. It's difficult. I understand that I will lose some patients and some, It. I guess it's never offset by the patients that you save. But I think knowing that I've given it my all, I, I think that's what, and that's why I need to, because it, it helps to know that to the last minute I gave it my all. 
And I was able to somehow touch them in a way that they could also learn more about themselves and leave a legacy for their family members, right? Because they're in a different frame of mind, you see, even when they're about to pass, they're in a different frame of mind because of the Beatitudes. And so they can pass that on without negativity, right? To mm-hmm. their family members, and I think that's what that's what gives me peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you strike me as, as such a spiritual person, and I, and I, mm-hmm. I don't mean that in any formalized religion or anything. How do you uh, use that to touch the spirit in others? Because they all have a spirit, and I and yeah. I can't imagine how hidden it may be at a time when they've been told they have cancer. How do you yeah. reach their spirit? I I talked about just uh, making sure that they know I'm vulnerable, but when I walk in a room, I do believe that because this is my purpose on earth, I think I walk in the room with the spirit of a higher power. And I think when you have that spirit, I think it emanates. I think it can be felt in the room and I allow that spirit to guide me. And sometimes it it it, it gives me intuition and 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 insight that I probably wouldn't have gained otherwise, because I I believe that, again, I'm placed here for a reason. And that is why I have that burning desire to do what I do. And uh, at times when patients do um, open up or they are, they acknowledge that they are spiritually inclined, we have that discussion. So, because I do not want to impose my beliefs on others or patients who may not be so inclined, but when they are, then we bond at a different level as well. And so it's very helpful, yes. Talk about your belief system and how that affects your whole mission. Yeah, so I, that question actually came after I, I, probably uh, stated that. So my belief system is that we're all here for a purpose and that's the purpose we need to fulfill. And that is my mission on earth. Uh, I think that we are equipped with all the gifts that we need to fulfill that purpose. And as long as we can somehow dig deep with deep introspection we may, we may be able to find our purpose. And again, when that is coupled with passion and the gifts that you've been blessed with, that's all you need in your armamentarium to go out in the world and make a difference. And again, you have to do so by being intentionally you. And that's, in doing so, you can go over the limit because that's what, it, that's, that's what we're greater than we think we are. We, we have more in us than we think we do. And that's mm-hmm. what this has taught me. We, we do. And my patients teach me that as well. You see, that's what the requited admiration is all about. Because they're my, they're, my patients, they're heroes. As far as I'm concerned, they are. Because they're going through a process that some of us, we are, we are all daunted by the word, as you stated, by the term cancer. I mean, it's daunting, right? It's intimidating. It is, again, facing your mortality. But they do that every day they wake up with that knowledge. Right? And yeah. I'm sure there are mornings that they think that it must have been a nightmare. And they, you know, because sometimes we do have nightmares and then we wake up and we're happy that it wasn't actually a nightmare. 
but that's not the case for them. They wake up and they realize this is actually reality, you know, but they get through it every day. They dress and they come for treatment. Like I said, for my patients every day, five days a week for up to nine weeks. And they do that. So that's requited admiration. So they tell me how much they admire me, my knowledge, my expertise, and how I'm able to treat them, treat their soul, their spirit, their mind. And in return, I tell them that they actually inspire me to do just what I do. So it's reciprocated, you see. Mm-hmm. How does the medical profession need to change so that we see more of the big C reattitudes? Mm-hmm. What, how, how would you change it if you were- How would you know, I change the, it? You were the czar of medicine. Uh, well, first, I, I would it would be disseminated so that it can be instituted in all of the clinics. And as my husband says, not only for cancer patients, but and you alluded to the fact that it can be applied beyond that. But I think we need to be uh, physicians need to have more freedom uh, to employ such methods. And to do so, it cannot be. Hmm. Uh, hmm. I have to be PC about this, but it cannot be tarnished with, um, you know, financial gain. You know, as I tell my patients, I tell them, listen, I, I can spend as much time as I need to spend with you. And as you know, that is an issue in medicine where you're not allowed to spend as much time as you need to spend with patients. You don't know what patients are dealing with. And sometimes in OTVs, my on-treatment visits, that's scheduled for five minutes. But the patient may have gone, have had a rough night and they need me uh, to, to help them process that. And so I cannot just leave them because there is a time issue and there is a, uh, a financial aspect attached to that. And so I think we need the freedom to be the doctors that we train to be. I think we need that freedom to do that. And so um, monitoring our time, um, it's, it's not really going to advance that for sure. And also insurance, I tell my patients, I do not make my decisions based on the insurance that they have or the lack of it thereof. So I never know the insurance uh, that my patient has. I, I never know what insurance they're associated with. I walk in the room without that knowledge because mm-hmm. my recommendation cannot be based on that. Mm-hmm. And so I think all of these things need to be considered if we are indeed supposed to um, treat our patients, not just to the best of our ability, but beyond that. Yeah, I just think there's so much bureaucracy in, in uh, red so tape. Much so, so much of medical dollars is spent yes. on, on red tape, you doing uh, you know paperwork rather than yes. being with your patients. Yes, yes, yes. And so, and that is why it takes up to two or 3 a.m. in the morning, because you see, I have to do all that paperwork, but I want to spend time with my patients as well. And then I want to process so that the next day I want to hit the mark. So I want to be able to, you know, if there's a problem my patient's having um, that I have not, I, I somehow have not addressed adequately, I have, I need time to think about that. And during the day with all the paperwork, I can't do that. So that is where the 2 a.m. and 3 a.m., that's where that comes in, you know, where mm-hmm. I can have, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my thoughts and I can mull deeply over, you know, all these issues and psychological toxicity. And then I'm able to address it, you know, effectively in clinic. I'm curious, Dr. E.B., how 
other doctors react to you <laughs> because you're, you're clearly different and uh, in a nice way, but they may be more established uh, based on the, you know, the establishment thinking, if you will. And I'm curious how they react to you. Mm, I, I, be, be a little bit more explicit about that question. In other words, you found. The way you approach things is maybe different than the way they would. And I'm wondering how that meshes. Mm. Yes. So, um, of course, every physician is different. And so um, there may be, um, as you said, there's bureaucracy at play and there um, or different approaches may cause um, some uh, because it's on a different, uh, on another side of the spectrum, it it may cause some some rattling of sorts, but but at the same time, I think we're all good at our core, and because of that, it I think that they recognize that it's what's best for the patients, regardless. But you are correct. I mean, we're all different, and so our practice is going to be different. And so yes, there there may be some opposition. Mm -hmm. I have faced opposition in the past, I should say that. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be on the other side of that. Opposing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you, sure. Well, I, I, all the passion I, is again, coming up. I, I'm convinced. Um, again, there's that unction inside you. I'm sure you felt that before. Um, there's, it's, it's not that I'm not malleable, but when it comes to my patients, I don't believe there's any other way. I really don't. Mm -hmm. what, uh, what closing thoughts do you have? Dr. E.B., we've covered so much ground uh, and uh, so much of it profound. I wonder what closing thoughts might you have. So um, you asked me about my book, and so I'm going to cheat. And I want to close by, I mean, I have several pros in my, um, in my chapter, but I want to close uh, with the requited admiration. And I started off by stating this is the epilogue, last but not least our patients effusively express their appreciation to us, which I usually graciously accept. But forthwith, I pose this question, an idiomatic citation, do you see what I see? The answer underscores our requited admiration for our cancer patients. While we treat them, they enlighten us. While we encourage them, they inspire us. While we advise them, they edify us. While we heal their bodies, they enrich our souls. Because their journey embodies the resilience of humanity, epitomizes the essence of hope, and encapsulates the true meaning of life. So let's all collectively aspire to higher ground. And that's, my, that's the title of my book chapter, Higher Ground. That's a beautiful way to end it. We've had the great privilege of speaking with Dr. Sophia Edwards Bennett, just a top expert in cancer, and, and really, I hope has changed the way you think about treating cancer. Uh, this has been, uh, this podcast is Reboxy Life, a pandemic of inspiration. I've been your host, Mark Rim. Dr. E.B., it's been wonderful spending this time with you. Uh, reciprocated. Sentiments are certainly reciprocated. It was great as well. And again, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. And to our listeners, I hope this inspires you as well.